Uh, this morning, I want to talk about Micah 6, 8. And then I kind of, as I was talking with the Lord about this whole thing, he started taking me down how he feels about justice. And, and so Micah 6, 8 is a, a familiar passage where he says, he, I've told you, O man, what to do. You know, do justice, love mercy, and walk humbly with your God. And so the context of this, so verses six and seven, Micah's, he's going through, he said, what, what can I do for the Lord? Should I bring like a thousand rivers of oil? Should I bring all my fattest calves? Should I even offer my firstborn to the Lord? Because other gods required that, uh, required that of you in those days. I mean, there were religious practices where you're sacrificing your firstborn. And he says, he has told you, O oh man, what is good, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you, but to do justice, to love kindness, or love mercy, and walk humbly with your God. And so God tells us to do justice. The Bible says that he is the God of justice. Jeremiah says that he is uh, we'll probably look at it a little bit later. He says, I love justice. I love righteousness. And, and justice, my, my definition of justice is you're doing the right thing by somebody in God's eyes. You're doing the right thing to your neighbor in God's eyes. That's what justice is. And so, obviously, when you're stealing and you're, you're lying, you're not doing what's right by your neighbor. And so we look at this and uh, this is what God tells us to do. I mean, you, you can almost sum up, this is almost like a summary of the Sermon on the Mount. You know, do, do justice, love mercy, walk humbly with your God. And so when we look at that scripture, the most out of all these, these offerings and all of these material things that we can give God, none of those things are actually pleasing to him. He, ha he has all those things, right? <laughs> he has cattle. He has oil. He has gold. He, he says it's all his. But the one thing that we can give him that he doesn't necessarily have is our heart. And that's what he's looking for. And when he has our heart, all the gold, all the offerings, all the rivers of oil, all the calves are his. We give them to him. Anyways, God's always about like going to the root, right? And so when we offer our hearts to God, he gets all the other things as well. Jeremiah chapter nine, verses 23 through 24. It's, one of, it's become one of my favorite scriptures the last few years. But it says this, let not the wise man boast of his wisdom and let not the mighty man boast of his might. Let not a rich man boast of his riches, but let him who boasts boast of this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who exercises loving kindness, justice and righteousness on the earth. For I delight in these things. He delights in loving kindness, justice and 
and righteousness on the earth. So that's what we're called to do. So the only way to do justice, and we obviously hear a lot about justice and social justice and those types of things, but the only way to actually do justice by somebody is to know the just one. Because then if you do not know the one who is just, in the end you will, all your good deeds could, could very well possibly be perverted in some way. You could be helping somebody because for you, <laughs> you could be helping somebody with ulterior motives, you know, all those types of things. And, and so the, we do justice. Don't, the only way that we, we even know how to help our neighbor is by actually just knowing Jesus. So show, show me someone crying out for justice and I'll ask them, actually, do you know Jesus? Because justice is actually, if we're wanting to be just in all things, then I'm going to pay for my sin. I'm going to spend eternity in hell. But we know the story. Jesus paid the price. He fulfilled his requirements for righteousness. He, he fulfilled his just requirements by, through himself. And so God fulfilled these requirements. And Romans 6.23 says, you know, the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So there is the mercy of God that God loves to show mercy. He loves mercy so much that he took our place. Matthew 12, 20 says, a battered reed he will not break off and a smoldering wick he will not put out until he leads justice to victory. I love how that's phrased. <laughs> like Jesus is coming and he's bringing justice with him. And I've, you have probably heard me say this before, you know, the Bible says to do not repay evil for evil, but leave room for the wrath of God. And that's because you and I don't, we don't know what's just in this, apart from him. We don't, and we're not even able to fulfill justice, but he's the one that makes everything right. He's the one that knows exactly what everyone needs and has earned, so to speak. Luke 12, 49, I've come to cast fire upon the earth and how I wish it were already kindled. Now, this is one of those things that from Jesus that we tend to forget about. Jesus, what, this is in the context of his second coming. If you read the whole, if you read that chapter, he's talking about being ready that, that the, uh, the land stewards weren't ready for when the owner came back. And he says, I've, and he says, then he says this, I've come to cast fire upon the earth and how I wish it were already kindled. So Jesus longs to come back. He's waiting on the father to say, go. But he longs to come back. He longs to bring justice in the earth. So when there's injustice happening in the earth, it grieves God's heart. It grieves Jesus' heart. He wants He's not, they're not just sitting up there passively unaffected. 
It grieves their heart. And so much so that Jesus is like, Father, let me go. And then Father's like, it's not time. It's not time. And you talk about, so Jesus, he's not saying I come to cast X, Y, Z on the earth. He says, I'm coming to cast fire on the earth. He's coming to burn up all the things that are not of his kingdom. Again, Mike Bickle says, the judgments of God, everything that God does even, judgments and outside of judgments, are for the purpose of removing the things that hinder love. So you think about that, the shakings in the earth, the birth pangs, you read in Revelation, all the, the trumpets and the seals and the bowls of wrath, they're, the, they're removing the things that hinder love. The, the, when you go to Revelation 12, what God is doing is announcing it's, it's war on the Antichrist kingdom. And so he, he, he longs to bring justice. So we're baptized in the Holy Spirit in a, in a fire as a way of consecrating ourselves to the Lord. So in, in the Old Testament, when if you had an idol that was a physical idol that you had bowed down and worshiped, when you renounced that thing, you were commanded in the scriptures to burn it with fire. So when we receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit, when we receive the fire of God, what's some of the things that immediately start happening in your life? You start seeing idols in your life. <laughs> because God's, the fire of God's coming against those things. Right, So everybody has to experience the fire of God in one way or the other. We can either get the baptism of fire on the front end or we, or we get the fire on the, on the latter end where everything's, but idols will be destroyed. And so sometimes I tell people when you go through a fire tunnel, I was like, you're, you're, getting, you're getting the happy stuff and you're getting the stuff that's gonna prune you. It's, it's fire, it's all, it's all in the same package. It's not just like a, oh, there's no price to pay. Hallelujah. I'm just, we're just getting like feel goods. But no, you're, when you're asking for the fire of God, you're asking, you're inviting him to remove all the idols out of your life. And sometimes I, I've prayed this before. I was like, Lord, I want, I want you fire. I was like, can you just show me the idols and not like have, not have to go through circumstances. <laughs> it's like, just can you just show me so I can like repent and you can burn them that way? But uh, he's wiser than I am. So. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 26 through 27 says, for if we go on sinning willfully after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a terrifying expectation of judgment and the fury of a fire which will consume the adversaries. So God consumes his enemies by fire. You go to Psalm 50, I'll read this for you. Psalm 50 verses one through three. The mighty one, God, the Lord, has spoken and summoned the earth, the earth from the rising of the sun to its setting. Out of Zion, the perfection of beauty, God has shown forth. May our God come and not keep silence. Fire devours before him and is very tempestuous around him. That's my big word for the day. But I kept hearing that phrase this past week, out of Zion, God shines forth. 
out of Zion, God shines forth. And to kind of go off topic just a little bit, but why are we praying for Israel? Why are we praying for Jerusalem? It's because it's the city of the king. That's what the scripture says. Jesus is coming back to rule from Jerusalem. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem, Psalm 122. And so Jerusalem is key to God's heart. And we're praying for uh, all the civilians, Israeli, Palestinian, any, any innocent civilians that are caught in between. And that's why war is horrible, because you have all these people that get caught in between in the war, right? And we're praying God spare their life, bring them to the knowledge of Jesus Christ. So why burn idols with fire? Why not just kind of break them up and bury them or whatever? It's a foreshadowing and a taste of what is to come for the demons. It also makes it harder to come back to it. So when I first gave my life to the Lord, um, I was, so I had been in pornography from the age of seven to 23 and when I and the Lord delivered me from that and but I still had all these images and stuff that I had would come up in my mind so I was married to Jessica it was our first year of marriage and uh, which was a couple years after having surrendered and I just kept my mind kept getting flooded with all these images I had taken in over all the years and um, I woke up one morning and the Lord said, you have an idol in your house. And I was like, okay, I, mean, I don't have like a Buddha statue or anything like that in my house, but I mean, what is it? And, and he pointed out, he, he, he said, the photo album from your college years. And there's photos that, you know, some of them were nothing, you know, fairly innocent and then the other ones that were not. And I just took the whole album. I got a tin wash tub. I doused it with uh, a lighter fluid and I set it on fire. And there's still, there was pictures in there. Like I said, you know, I thought about, I was like taking them out and all this kind of stuff. But I was like, this is, that guy's not even alive anymore. So, it's, it's got to go, you know. So I burned it. And um, and that was just, and the Lord told me to burn it. And I, you may not necessarily, he may not tell you to burn things. I mean, you can throw them away and they go off to the track, the landfill or whatever. But the point was, is that God will, you know, show us even physical idols sometimes that we have, that you can, that we can have. And they may not be your conventional, like I said, little statues that people think of as idols, but they may be other things. Um, I've had to repent of idolizing of my children being an idol, of, of them directing my life rather than the Lord. So it can, it can be anything that's, that's we're following. What is leading us? What is leading us? Now, the word picture, so it's basically repenting and turning from these idols. 
When you, uh, the word picture for, for repent in Hebrew, the letters themselves are, are pictures of things, which is a cool thing about the, the Hebrew language. And without going into all the details, when you combine, it's like three Hebrew letters for the word repent. When you combine those three letters, it means burn the house down. Burn the house down. Leave it, everything. Forsake it. Don't ever come back to it. You think about Lot's wife. Sodom's burning. And it says, don't look back. And she looked back. There was something in her heart that still longed for that. And she wasn't able to go forward, right? I mean, she turned into a pillar of salt. But she wasn't able to go to the next thing where God actually wanted to lead her because she still longed for that old way. She still longed for the old life somehow. Isaiah 66 says, as one whom his mother comforts, so I will comfort you, he's talking to Israel, and you will be comforted in Jerusalem. Then you will see this and your heart will be glad and your bones will flourish like the new grass. And the hand of the Lord will be made known to his servants, but he will be indignant toward his enemies. For behold, the Lord will come in fire and his chariots like the whirlwind to render his anger with fury and his rebuke with flames of fire. For the Lord will execute judgment by fire and by his sword on all flesh and those slain by the Lord will be many. So this is a talking about the second coming of the Lord. He's coming with fire. He's coming with fire. This is the baptism that Jesus is going to put the earth under uh, the fire of his judgment. So our responsibility to do justice. So God's taking care of the enemy part, right? (laughs) We're called to live on this earth as Jesus lived in this earth. I was just thinking this morning, even during worship, it says, like a lamb led to the slaughter, he was silent. And there's times where God will have you be silent in the face of mocking or misunderstanding or persecution. That we, there's times where we overcome by being overcome. And, when I, and, and we've said it before that when you forgive somebody, it actually puts you back in the driver's seat of that situation. So sometimes like we want to defend ourselves and, and Jesus said, if somebody slaps one side of your cheek, give to him the other. Why are we doing that? Does God just like his, his children getting beat up? No, he's like, no, I will make it right one day. But you have to trust me in that moment. It's just like Richard Rombrand in 19 years in communist Russian prison, tortured almost every day smiling at his torturers, them having, they're like, why are you smiling? And they beat him harder and he just keeps smiling. And he says, God loves you. I love you. And they're, they're like, how in the world can you do that when I'm beating the pulp out of you right now? It's a supernatural love. It's the love of the enemies. He didn't, he didn't attack them. He didn't repay evil. He didn't beat them back. But he was doing as Jesus did. And so 
that's, that's what we're called to do. And, you know, sometimes I, I have a client who's very, he's a older gentleman and he's very rude. And he just cuts down people all the time. He cuts me down all the time. <laughs> I just sit there and I just, I just know it was like this, this guy, his words aren't worth defining, you know. And I just bless him. I'm going to just say, I just keep saying, yes, sir, yes, sir. I mean, I don't, I don't necessarily agree with everything he's saying, but whenever I just pat him on the back when we're done, I was like, good job today, good job today. And, uh, you know, meanwhile, he's telling me, he's like, why don't we do what they're doing, what those other trainers are doing? Do you even know what you're doing? But he keeps coming back to me. So, I mean, I don't. Anyways, but that's, none of the other trainers wanted to work with him. I'll just say that. And, but I was like, I'll take this stuff because I can, I can run with him. I, I, you know, I'm not going to take it personal. But it's even those types of things where you just like, we don't take the slights personal. We don't take verbal attacks personal. We, as Dan Moeller would say, what if nobody owes you anything? How if, what if you live life that way? Nobody owes you anything. You'd be very free. We love mercy because God loves mercy. One of my other clients who says he's a Christian, but he says, I just can't deal with the hell part of Christianity. And I was just like, well, why don't you just do whatever you want to me? He's like, why are you even trying to follow Jesus? He's like, what are, you, what are you talking about? I said, why would you even try to follow Jesus if you're not, if part of the reason is not being saved from your sins and hell? He's like, well, I just think good people go to heaven. I said, there are no good people. And he's like, that's not true. I was like, no, everybody sins. There's nobody good. There's nobody that seeks after God. And, and then I, as I was talking to him, I remember the Lord spoke this word to me. He said, so I said, if there is no judgment, then there's no mercy. You're not being saved from anything. So like, what has Jesus actually even done? If he's not saving you and having mercy on your life and sparing you, that's why I'm saying, why are you wasting your time being on the fence? And uh, he just kind of looked at me, but changed the subject. <laughs> so we, then we walk humbly. So Romans 12, 19. Never take your own revenge, beloved, but leave room for the wrath of God, for it says, vengeance is mine, I will repay. Vengeance is not our job, it's the Lord's job. And that's the thing that we have to struggle with because it's in our heart, right? Justice is in our heart. We want justice. Every, it's in every human heart to have wrong things made right. But it's in the hands of God, it's not in our hands. Luke chapter 9 says, when his disciples, James and John, saw this, they said, Lord, do you want us to command fire to come down from heaven and consume them? But Jesus turned and rebuked them and said, you do not know what kind of spirit you're of, for the Son of Man did not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. And they went on to another village. The reason why the disciples asked that question, do you want 
us to pray for fire to come down is because throughout the Old Testament, God answered by fire. He's the God, he's the burning bush. He's the pillar of fire. He's the God that answered by fire against the prophets of Baal. He's the God that answers by fire. So they were, you know, there's, they got some opposition and the, and the disciples are just like me and you. I mean, I probably would have said the same thing. It's like, these guys are opposing you. Do you want us to pray fire down on them? And Jesus is like, no, you don't know what spirit you're of. You're of a vengeful spirit. I'm the one that I'm the only one that can execute vengeance rightly. Jesus came to save men's lives. And we're in that, we're in that grace period, so to speak. We're in the time of mercy before he comes when there won't be time again. And so that's why we urge men, repent, flee the wrath to come, give your life to Jesus. Ask him to be the Lord of your life, you know. Isaiah 42, 14, he says, I've kept silent. For a long time, I've kept still and restrained myself. Now, like a woman in labor, I will groan, I will both gasp and pant. This kind of answers the question of, you know, why are, it seems like sometimes God's silent when atrocities are happening, right? You have babies being beheaded in Israel. You have same thing happening in Nigeria, Christians being persecuted, beheaded, limbs cut off, all these atrocities. And you're like, God, when? Even in, even in Revelation that says the martyrs are saying, God, when? How long? How long until you come and avenge our blood? And this is answering the questions like, you know, you... I've kept silent for a long time and I've kept still and restrained himself. So God is restraining himself until the right time. And sometimes I think it's just like in the Old Testament where it says the nations, God, had, he didn't judge the nations because their sin wasn't made full yet. <laughs> I think sometimes that's the case in the earth when we're dealing with some of these enemies of God that they just the sin isn't made full yet. But but he says, I've kept silent for a long time and I've kept still and restrained myself. Now I like a woman, I'm going to groan and pant. And he's talking about the birth pains. When we start seeing the birth pains, think about it in this way. God is shaking the kingdom of the devil. He's shaking the kingdoms of his enemies. And we might be affected by it, but that's the purpose. He's, he's not necessarily just punishing everybody. He's coming after his enemies. And, and that gives us, and, and viewing that in the right way helps give us confidence, helps us understand God's heart better, and that there is going to be a day, there is going to be a day where he makes all things right. And the, the New Testament is, when you start reading the New Testament, they view the day of the Lord that was in the forefront of their mind in all their conversations. You read all the, almost all the epistles, Paul and all the other authors, the day of the Lord is a prominent thing. And we do the things like, like I said, we're, we don't stop uh, 
you know, we don't hide in a bunker waiting for Jesus, but we're representing Jesus as we go. We're loving our enemies as we go. We're loving our neighbor as we go, still looking forward to the day when Jesus makes all things right. When, he, when he's the king of the nations, when he's king of, king of kings and Lord of lords. And like the scriptures say, all the nations will stream to him and pay homage to him and bow down to him. So we leave with, I'll just leave you with that. We're, our assignment is to do justice, love mercy and walk humbly. And also to remember what God's job is, what his role is. Um, I want us to uh, just take communion together as just part of our ministry time. So we have some cups over here. We have some bread. And as you can play just some instrumental music, Luke. But as we take the bread and the, and the juice, ask this, pray. One of the things I just want you to pray is say, Lord, heal my communion with you. You know, we're, there's our, you know, we're not in perfect, total, complete, perfect unity with Jesus quite yet. But we're, on, we're in that journey, right? We're in that journey of completely abiding in him, being completely unified with him without any compromise. And so just say, Jesus, heal my union with you. Heal my unity with you. I want to I be one with you as you take that. And then whatever else the, the Holy Spirit might lead you to do.